So we're in the season of Advent, as I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, the word Advent literally means coming, and this is a season in which we remember, we look back, and we remember the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who walked among us, who made Himself known to us. But we also look forward to His second coming, that great day in which He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is a season that's also in the wilderness. Uh, as we heard from uh, our Scripture readings this morning, uh, there's a wilderness theme to this season. And the wilderness is a season of chaos. It's a season of darkness. It's a season of knowing, of not being totally prepared all the time. It's a season where surprises can sometimes… Is this… This is cutting out. You know what? We're going to… Oh, man. I haven't preached from this pulpit in ages. Bart, you do this all the time. All right. We'll see, if, we'll see how this goes. I'm used to walking around. So, uh, this is a season of the wilderness, chaos. Uh, it's, it's a time in which uh, things can often uh, jump out from the bushes and surprise us, who can um, take us off guard. It's also a season, though, in which we wait and we listen to God. And we see if he, in fact, is actually paying attention to our cries when he, he sees our vulnerability in the wilderness and if he's actually going to do anything about it. So this Sunday, I love the collect that begins the second Sunday of Advent. It's this beautiful, Bible-based, Scripture-focused collect. Did you hear that prayed this morning? Uh, a collect is a liturgical word for a prayer. It's, it's a prayer in which um, the desires, the prayers of the gathered people of God are being collected together and lifted up and elevated to the Lord. And today's opening collect, after the collect of purity, is this. Blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Do you hear the progression of those verbs? We hear the scriptures, we see the scriptures, we, we interact with them, we mark them, and we, we meditate on them, we learn them, and then we inwardly digest them. Is that how you read scriptures? Do you intend to digest them with your gut? I love this prayer. So why do we do this? Well, it's so that by patience and the comfort of this of God's holy word, we may embrace and hold fast to the hope of everlasting life that we have through his son Jesus Christ our Lord. That's just I love that beautiful prayer. Now, at first glance, it might not be obvious why a prayer like this is prayed during the Advent season. Um, why would that be? Well, it's reminding us that the best place in which we hear the voice of God is in his holy scriptures. It's in his Bible, in the word written to us. Yes, we hear his voice through the fellowship of other believers. Yes, we hear his, his voice sometimes through, through dreams or images or, or quiet promptings. But we hear his voice most clearly through the words of scripture. Now, admittedly, um, the Bible is a really weird book. Uh, it's, it's a strange book, right? So even if we were to turn to the opening pages of Scripture, you would encounter very bizarre things like murder, incest, betrayal, blood sacrifices, orgies, genocide, angels, plagues, and so forth. It was really weird saying some of those words right now. It probably was hearing them. And like the Bible is a weird book, right? But in this book, we, hear, we see the human heart on full display. We see what happens when it goes unchecked. We see what happens when people are empowered to actually carry out the desires of their hearts. But there's other things in this book as well. We're given beautiful words. We're, we're given a beautiful, heavenly, divine imagination. 
And it's so clear that, that the ideas and the pictures and, and um, just the, the, the pure, beautiful things that are contained within this book do not originate within the human heart or within the human imagination, but truly from heaven itself. We'll learn about things like heavenly justice, true beauty, absolute righteousness, compelling righteousness, and actual true love. In the scriptures, we see a God who embodies these things. And he tells us clearly that it is his desire to restore all things to himself. So, inspired by this opening collect and a love for this beautiful, sacred book, I have a very simple message for you today. We're going to hone in on just one verse. Um, and I didn't share this with the, second, or with the first service, but um, I, cut, we were, I was actually intending to also preach on verses 2 and 3 in Mark's gospel. And I was like, this is just too much. This is too much. So we're just going to hone in on verse 1 this morning. I cut that um, this morning as I was praying for, uh, over this passage. So we're going to hone in on verse 1 from Mark's gospel. And Mark is one of the first people in human history to take it upon himself to write down the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so I want us to choose slowly on this rich, beautiful passage this morning. May we hear these words. May we read these words. May we mark them. May we learn them. May we inwardly digest all of the beautiful words that are in this passage. And in doing so, may God speak to you. May God speak to you in the midst of this. So, it begins in the beginning, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. So Mark's opening words here are meant to remind us of the opening of the Bible itself, the book of Genesis, right? Which famously begins by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what Mark is doing here is he's saying, this is another one of those moments. This is a beginning moment. This is a, a new start that we're about to embark on. I'm writing a new story, God is saying here through his servant, Mark. A new story is emerging. So God is not silent. God is not in the dark. God is not dead. No, he is alive, and he is speaking again afresh to his people. Now, just to be clear, when Mark says this, the beginning, he's not um, saying that everything that came beforehand, the, the, the patriarchs, the, um, the kings, the prophets, you know, and all the crazy things that happened uh, along with those individuals, he's not saying that God is leaving behind all of that stuff, as we'll see here in a moment. No, what he's saying is that something new is beginning. The fulfillment of all of those things is, is about to become made more clear to us. So this is the beginning of the gospel. Now, today, as Christians, when we use the word gospel, um, it, it's kind of become a church word, right? Like, it's kind of got this, like, this code to it. Um, we usually imply our own personal kind of theological packages when we use the word gospel. Um, never mind that other people might you know, adjust that or whatever. Um, like we say, no, this is the gospel, what we believe, right? Um, and what we do with this word is we'll say things like, oh, is that a gospel church? Oh, is, is, um, is that a gospel song? Did, was that, uh, did that person preach the gospel? You see what I'm saying? Like this is kind of a, a code word that we use these days, kind of imply like something that we ourselves are in, in agreement with. <laughs> well, in the Greek... The word gospel literally means good news. And this was a word that was used more just outside of just the people of God. It was used uh, um, more than that. Specifically, it means good news with national implications to it. It's like a really big deal kind of good news. 
So for example, if an emperor, if a new emperor was born, this would be good news. It, it means that there's going to continue to be a ruler who sits upon the throne. And everyone's thrilled by this moment because it means that the previous person uh, will be replaced. <laughs> um, and it will be, it, he will be replaced by someone who is of our generation, who hopefully gets it in a way that the previous one didn't. Now, among the Jews, within the pages of the Old Testament, the idea of good news had a thematic twist to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It had a, a thematic twist to it among um, God's people. So one scholar says it this way. When the Jewish people use the phrase good news, it's, it's to imply the inbreaking of God's kingly rule, the advent of his salvation, of his vengeance, of his vindication. In other words, the expectations of God's people is that God's gospel is about victory and freedom and foreign rulers who will be crushed. God's kingdom is about to be established. Now, God's gospel is a rescue plan, just to be clear. It involves the purging of evil, the establishment of peace. But there's more. This is the gospel of Jesus. The name Jesus in those days was actually a pretty common name. Um, it's, it's common these days, too, only we, we say it differently. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word Jesus is Yeshua, from which we get the name Joshua. Uh, and what this name literally means is Yahweh is salvation. As the gospel writer Matthew says in his narrative, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a man born of the Virgin Mary who walks among us, who was, oh, you read my mind, Seth. Thank you. I almost asked Marin to do that, and then you did it. So thank you. Thank you. You get extra communion bread today, Seth. Um. <laughs> so Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, literally means Yahweh is salvation. That Jesus, this person, is coming to save us from our sins. But also, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. It's the Hebrew word for Messiah, which means anointed one, the one with a distinct purpose, the one who's going to fulfill all of those Old Testament prophecies and longings that we've been hearing about for generations and generations. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in Genesis 3, God turned to Eve and he made her a promise. He said, one of your descendants is going to come and he will crush the head of the serpent. And ever since that moment, ever since God said that, the people of God have been waiting for the fulfillment of this, waiting for the Messiah to come, the son of Eve, to crush Satan, that ancient dragon, that accuser, the father of lies, the murderer, that, him, that he would be destroyed forever. This is the purpose of the Christ. This is why he came. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, Son of God is a major theme in Mark's book. Throughout the narrative, men and women either wonder quietly to themselves or they declare loudly for the whole village to hear that this is the Son of God. Well, what Mark does is he comes right out of the gate and he puts his cards on the table and he says, this is the Son of God. So it's a mistake for us to think that Jesus is just a man. Jesus relates to God in the same way a son relates to a father. Jesus comes from God. He has the character of God. He has the authority of God. He has the heart of God. He has the mission of God. Somewhere else in the Bible, someone comes to Jesus and they say, can you show us the Father? And do you remember what Jesus says? 
He says, if you look at me, you see the Father. You see, Jesus is from heaven. He is the Son of God. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I don't know if you feel this way, but as I read this verse, it's, it's kind of a tumultuous verse. There's, there's mixing themes that are in here. There's almost conflicting ideas that are at work, even within this small verse. This verse is heavenly, but it's also earthy, right? Like it's got a messiness to it. What does it mean that the gospel is being fulfilled by some guy from Nazareth? You know, we hear of, of heavenly plans that are unfolding, and there's wonder that's implied in this passage. But there's also messiness, like I said, because Jesus is a human being. He walks, he sleeps, he eats, he feels, he hurts. And so it's almost as if, even in this one verse, this one verse there's some kind, of, um, uh, some kind of confrontation that's about to happen. It's as if when we see these two things being brought together, things from heaven and things from earth, we know that Things are about to go sideways. Something strange is about to happen here in this book. Uh, when I was a kid, the weatherman came uh, and spoke to us uh, at my school, and he said that whenever you get a warm air system colliding with a cold air system, you're going to get storms and thunder and tornadoes. And it made me think, well, what happens when I open the freezer and this cold air comes and swirls? Am I going to get a tornado in my kitchen? Um, sometimes I still wonder that. Um, I live a very dangerous life. But in Jesus, there's a collision, right? There's a collision of things heavenly and things earthy, things divine and things ordinary, things of, of gold and things of wood. We see God and man together. So where do we go from here? I think there's, there's three charges to us or three movements that we see in this passage. So first of all, I think that we're reminded afresh that ours is a God of new beginnings. He does new things. Just because uh, uh, he, he's not the God of the one and done. He's, he's the God um, who does new things. And so your life might have various twists and turns to it. Maybe some uh, surprise detours you weren't intentionally um, planning on, right? Uh, you might have seasons of silence in your life, seasons of pain, seasons of confusion, this is a wonderful, beautiful reminder that we don't have the full story. That God is the God of new starts, that he can surprise us, that he can sometimes open up a door that we didn't know even existed there. And we can see this beautiful path that lays before us. God loves to make new ways. So a question that I have is where are you stuck? What sort of wilderness experience are you in right now? Where do you find yourself uh, unsafe uh, unsure of what the future is? What kind of impossible questions are keeping you up at night? What kind of despair is weighing upon you? What sort of habits of thought or behaviors are imprisoning you right now? May God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, give you the courage to name those things, to recognize those things, and to put them out in the light. And I don't know exactly what that means for you, Maybe to put them out into the light means to um, journal about these things, to write them down, and to then pray over that and, and hold that before the Lord. I hope that that wouldn't be it, though. I hope that you would find a way to hold these things in community with other people. Because you're not meant to be in the wilderness by yourself. You're meant to be in the wilderness with your brothers and sisters, and, and this is where we lament things together, where we admit pains together, in which we share our struggles with one another. 
Because you're not meant to be in the wilderness by yourself. Because ours is a God of new things. So share your wilderness experience with others. Your pains, your laments, your sorrows. And expect God to show up. To speak into the darkness. To speak into the wilderness. Listen for him. So secondly, what can we glean from from this verse? Know that God's gospel, his good news, is for the here and for the now. We have good news, brothers and sisters, of absolute cosmic proportions. As those who've been cleansed by Christ, we ourselves have access to all of the the rich inheritance that, that is made available to us through the power of his cross. And that is a reality that we get to live in here and now. We get to experience here and now. Every single week, as a part of our liturgy, we declare something. It's one of my favorite parts of the liturgy, in which we declare the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. We say this every single week. Um, One of my mentors, uh, he would always say, uh, as he was leading the liturgy, he'd say, let's say this part with gusto. I was like, oh, I wish I could use the word gusto and people wouldn't giggle at me. (laughs) Um, If your name is Lyle, you can use the words gusto and people take you seriously. But this is our battle cry, right? That Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. He has defeated the powers of death and evil, and we have access to that power through his blood. He will come again in the future to consummate his his victory, and we in the here and now can root our hope in that reality. But also here, until we wait for that day, we get to experience his resurrection life, moving among us, washing us, cleaning us, making us new, giving us new life, giving us eyes and ears to hear him and to see him at work around us. So what that means is that we can expect to hear from God, his good news, in the here and now. So last week, um, our bishop was here, Bishop Ken. He was a nice man. I liked meeting Bishop Ken. Um, And we had eight individuals uh, who were confirmed. Um, uh, Three at the first service, five at the second service. And part of the process of being confirmed is, is that you, you learn new things about the faith. You learn about our Anglican tradition. And, and also, you, you ask questions about how God is at work in your own life. Um, so it's a preparation of teaching and of prayer for those who are being confirmed. And then during the service, if you weren't here, there was a special time in which Bishop Ken um, prayed for each one of those individuals. And it wasn't just Ken. Uh, I joined him, and, and several of you were also invited to come forward and, and pray for your, your friends who were being confirmed. And I just love that, that time of ministry and prayer and, and seeking the Lord uh, on behalf of these individuals. Well, part of their preparation is uh, I asked each of those being confirmed to just write a, a simple a spiritual journey. I wanted to, to know more about how the Lord had, had met them and transformed their lives and drawn them closer to him. And it was just a joy to read those stories. And some people shared some very vulnerable things, and some people shared really hopeful, exciting things. And then we would pray about um, how the Lord is at work in their life. Well, coming back to what happened last week, during that prayer time on Sunday, Ken's prayers were oddly specific. Um, And I was starting to get a little, like, uncomfortable, to be honest, because I was like, oh, my goodness, these people are going to think that I blabbed their stories to Bishop Ken. And I hadn't. Yeah, someone's nodding right now. Like, yep, I just felt that way. (laughs) And in fact, two people uh, came up to me after the services on Wednesday and said, did you share my story with Bishop Ken? I was like, no, no, I didn't. 
Um, and after the first service, someone came up to me and said, I almost asked you that question myself, so I guess we could say three. But I didn't, I didn't. It was a full weekend. We didn't have time to do that. But through those prayers, and not just Bishop Ken's prayers, but the prayers of other people, Jesus was ministering to his people. We were listening to uh, the prayers of each other, but we were also listening to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was at work in those moments. Jesus saw the hearts of people who were drawing close to him. And he gave his people, the body of Christ, the church who were praying over those individuals, gave us the words to say to those people. And speaking things that we didn't know need to be said. Um, Ken more so than, than me, obviously. Um, but it was just such a beautiful time in which Jesus was speaking words of hope and of healing to people. And that's not to say that it was this amazing sort of like transcendent emotional experience for everyone. That's, that's not the case. And that doesn't always happen in prayer, obviously. But Jesus was at work. Jesus is alive, ministering to his people. And that's my third point. God can do new things. God's work is good news. And God's work is also the person of Jesus Christ, that great shepherd who ministers to his people, who knows you by name, who knows the particular limp that you carry or the ways in which you have been wound. And he knows how to gently minister to you in the midst of that. He knows precisely what your soul is hungry for and how to nourish you in this moment and what, what you need to hear from your brothers and sisters or, or to, to, to capture your heart with as you read the Holy Scriptures. I love what Isaiah the prophet says to us, uh, that final verse that we read from Isaiah this morning. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young, that is, those who are vulnerable. Friends, Jesus Christ knows you. He knows your heart. He knows the things that you desire. He knows the sorrows that you bear, the, the despairs that trip you up. He knows these things. He still loves you. He wants to draw you closer to himself. He sees you, he knows you, and he wants to bless you. So I wonder, how might that blessing look for you this Advent season? How can you be praying for the blessing of Jesus this Advent season? So that when Christmas comes, yes, we sing lovely songs and we celebrate with family and friends. But in your prayer time during this Christmas season, how can you expect the light of Christ to pierce our darkness, to illuminate the things in your heart that, that need to be brought into the light, and that you might feel the warmth of his presence upon you? How might you experience that? I don't know what kind of wilderness experiences you're in right now. I hear some of them. I meet with some of you, and I hear about some of those wilderness experiences. And I would expect that all of us are going through something of some kind. How may you bring that before the Lord this morning? So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, uh, usually I'm one of the bread servers during communion. Um, I've, I've asked Aaron to take my place. Uh, and I would like to join the prayer ministers in the back and um, continue to, and I would invite anyone who, who wants to come forward. We do prayer ministry every single Sunday in the back corner, um, but I, I want to be a part of that um, this Sunday. Um, and that's not because I have some sort of magical connection with the Lord or, or that I have some, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not under any illusion that I've, like, that you need to access Jesus through me or something ridiculous like that. I just want to pray with you. Um, that's really it. And uh, so I would ask you to avail yourselves of that prayer time. Um, to come back and pray with us. And, um, and if, if the duration of this service isn't long enough, well, then we can continue to, to pray after the service is done. We can come back to that corner and, and continue in prayer. Um, 
But in this spirit of prayer, in this spirit of seeking Jesus, the great shepherd of our souls, may we all bow our heads together and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that in the midst of quietness, in the midst of the wilderness, Lord, we can still hear your voice. So Lord, unplug our ears, quiet our souls, so that we can truly hear from you, Lord, because you do call to us. You know each of our names, Lord. You know all the ways in which we've, in which we're hurt and in, uh, in which we need your healing touch. So come, Lord Jesus, and minister among this your people, this your flock, Lord. Gather us up, Lord. Carry us in your arms, Lord Jesus. Lead us to good pastures. We ask this in your name. Amen.